Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, Patrick Farrell, and Dr. Nicola Flanagan. We're very glad to be back. Okay. We've, I know you guys don't even know that we had, we had a break, but we had a break from the podcast last week. My comrades were traveling, enjoying themselves. Um, so, how were your holidays, guys? Patty, you go first because you're recovered. Nicola, a little bit worse for wear today, I think. Yeah, not not feeling too good. Not feeling too good, as you can probably tell by my voice. But we'll get through this. Uh, well, my holiday was great. I've had a, a week, well a week. I went for a few days in Barcelona. It was fantastic. But I've been back working, if you will, for a week since then. So Nicola is the one that's still on holidays, still enjoying freedom while it lasts. That's it. Fantastic. So anyway, guys, holidays aside, today we're going to be talking a bit about plant-based diets. And I use that word plant-based diets because that can mean, you know, many different things. There's a spectrum there from, you know, people will call themselves uh, vegans. You've even got the raw vegans and the fruitarians on the really weird end of the internet. Um, But, you know, vegan veganism is becoming relatively common now uh, compared to what it would have been. And the same goes for vegetarianism. And then further along the spectrum, you've got um, pescatarians, lacto-ovo-vegetarians, etc. So there's many different variations of a plant-based diet, um, some of which can be very easy to implement into one's life. You know, you can still, like me and Patty always say ourselves, that we eat an omnivorous diet. Like, yeah, we eat meat and we eat plants, but the primary basis of our diet is still very much heavy in plants, even though it includes meat. So there's a spectrum there from the carnivore weirdos on the internet to the raw vegan fruitarian weirdos on the internet on both ends of the spectrum. And then the rest of us more normal people somewhere in the middle between there. Okay. So you've got me and Patty maybe who eat a decent amount of meat, I would say but also eat lots and lots of fruits and vegetables above the average in the population, lots of fiber, et cetera. Then you've got people further along who maybe they're trying to cut meat out every meal or two, or maybe they only have meat on certain days. And then you've got, you know, people like Nicola who was previously vegetarian and is now consuming some fish. And then of course you've got the, the harder vegans. So depending on where you are on that spectrum, there needs to be more or less thought uh, put into the constituents of your diet. And to be fair, like this isn't unique to vegan diets. It's, it applies to all restrictive diets. Like carnivores and keto people always try to come up with excuses as to why they don't need certain nutrients because they're hacking their metabolism in some way. But the reality is that if you're on a carnivore diet, you're still at risk of certain nutrient deficiencies over time as well. So this applies to all restrictive diets. And in particular today, what we want to talk about is how to set up a good, healthful, plant-based diet in a way that is evidence-based and also practical with the implementation into your life. Yeah, and just, just on this, it's, it's weird that, I don't know, culture goes in these different cycles, you know, where it'll be like different diets are promoted, different diets are demoted, and it can be very hard just you looking back and history and going like, well, what did my grandparents eat? What did they eat? Cause like, Gary, you mentioned there, like people, you know, skip meat certain meals, you know, certain days, you know, like that's very uh, Catholic, you know, we're all from Ireland. You'd see like, Oh, you don't have your, your meat on Friday. You have fish, you know, and different things like that. And these are all just ways in which the, you know, 
cultural we'll call them elites but like you know the people that are ruling you know they're like okay well we want to make the population healthier or we have these beliefs about nutrition they might not actually be healthy but they're like these are our beliefs you know and like for example we talked about it before gary because i know you're a, a fan of saint augustine but like in christianity you eat the body of christ like you have to eat the body of christ that like transubstantiation that was brought in purely to weed out vegans and vegetarians like uh, saint augustine was uh from North Africa, as most people know. Um, but he spent time in a Manichaean cult, right? And they were all vegetarians. They were all vegans. And he grew to believe that they were like devil worshippers, right? So he was like, how do we weed out the devil worshippers in Christianity? So he was like, oh, the body of Christ, this wafer, it's not just, you know, a symbol. It is the literal embodiment of Christ. And he did that purely to weed out the vegans, the vegetarians, etc so it's weird the way that these things go through like they pervade our culture and you're not even aware of what's happening and this is very relevant to stuff that nicola's going to talk about here with like documentaries and stuff because very similar things happen on both sides in terms of you know a certain person will have an ideology or they'll have a financial incentive you know to be like oh this is this is a you know we should promote this diet and then you look at like who's funding this and it's like oh you own like a huge amount of like pea farms and it would be very beneficial for you to be selling pea protein to vegans and vegetarians. So if you can get more people to be vegans and vegetarians, you know, that would be great for you. So there's all this, you know, background stuff that we don't really even see. And unfortunately, as a health and fitness professional, which you know all three of us are here, um, we kind of are left to pick up the pieces because you're kind of like actually dealing with the people and they're like, Oh, well, I, I don't know how to do this. You know, I've been told it's good or I've been told it's bad, but how do I actually put that into my actual life? You know? So that's where Nicola comes in and uh, talks us through this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose where this fits into the women's podcast series is around 87% of people doing veganuary were women. Um, and with that, I have a lot of clients that will come to me. They're either trying to reduce meat. Um, they're trying to go vegetarian, vegan. Um, they're not really sure where to start. Um, and the thing is, some, some of them aren't really sure kind of why they want to do it. So people will become vegan, vegetarian for, and I'm going to use vegan, vegetarian interchangeably throughout this because um, they are, are quite similar. Um, but, you know, you have people that are going vegan, vegetarian for moral, ethical reasons, um, you know, people for health reasons, for environmental reasons, and we'll talk about each of them. Um, but particularly, I suppose, with the moral, ethical side of things, what's happened is it's become a very, I suppose, emotive diet as well. So we kind of, with just say with the documentaries that we're going to be talking about um it becomes a very emotionally charged topic for a lot of people um and then we kind of lose i suppose the health side of things and you know is this a healthful diet um and typically um our classical and um, vegan vegetarian diet um was one that it was primarily like nutrient dense whole foods um but now i suppose coming further on and with an in, in advanced technologies, we have all these um, new uh, plant-based meats um, that are completely new to the food chain. And I suppose at the minute, we don't really know um, what the effect of these substitutions are on ourselves. We might find out eventually that there's, they're not harmful at all. Um, but we definitely can't say for certain that this is um, you know, a healthful diet if the effect of the substitution of our standard um, chicken, fish, is you know the beyond burger or um the linda mccarty sausages you know in tesco 
Um, so we, we don't know that yet. And I suppose that's that's where we need to kind of drive the conversation. Um, like, absolutely. I'm um, vegetarian for, you know, ethical, moral reasons. Um, but I'm a reluctant vegetarian at that because I don't necessarily stand by the, the healthfulness of the diet per se. Yeah, this is the thing as well. Like, so like you're, a, a, I would say, a relatively well-educated person on the topic, you know? And if you come into that and you go, you're still having conflicts here. You're still going into this going like, oh, I don't know if this is the best thing I should be doing, but, you know, this, it, it doesn't align necessarily with my ethics and my morals. You can imagine someone in the general population that's just, if they feel ethically, morally obliged to be like, okay, it's the vegan or, you know, a plant-based diet or whatever, that's what I have to do. And they don't know how they don't have the education that you have. They don't know how to set that up correctly. They don't know how to, you know, look into this a little bit deeper so that they can actually set it up in a healthful way. Because, you know, there definitely are healthier ways, at least, to set up a vegan or a plant-based diet. Um, and there are definitely unhealthy ways to set up a you know plant-based diet. And unfortunately, you know, people struggle to set up an omnivorous diet where they're not as restricted in their choices. So if you can imagine you become restricted in your choices, it doesn't make things easier, you know, for some people, for sure. It does. like, if you have only eaten, I don't know, you know, McDonald's your whole life, that's literally all you've eaten. You know, if you go, Oh, I'm just going to switch to a, a plant-based diet. You know, let's forget about any of the, like the plant-based burgers or anything like that, that, you know, McDonald's and everything are, are implementing, but you just go, okay, I'm stopping, I'm going to stop eating McDonald's and I'm going to start eating a bit more fruit and veg, you know, even if it, you just move over to like eating more bread, just, you know, whole grain bread, whatever, you know, you might have profound health uh, benefits from that, you know, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be in your best health. That doesn't mean that's the best diet for you. And this is one of those things that you see all the time. Someone will switch from like a, you know, that standard Western diet or standard American diet. They'll switch to a plant-based diet and they'll go, oh, I feel great. I feel like I have so much energy. I feel X, Y, and Z health benefits. And you have to look at that and go, yeah, but what you were doing before was, you know, unhealthy, what you were doing before was not contributing to your health. And now you're eating a diet that is in some way contributing to your health. That doesn't mean that that's the best diet for you. And you often see this, um, which I know like plant-based, uh, what do you want to call them? Like zealots. They hate to see it when people are like, oh, I did try a plant-based diet. I got great results off it. And then, you know, in three years time, four years time, I started introducing more meat and I felt even better, you know? And it's like, okay, yeah, you're moving away from this terrible diet. You've got great results with that. You know, you fix a few health problems that you had or whatever, and they even introduced some more meat and you fix one of the issues with a plant-based diet, but one of a few issues, which is like, you know, a lack of protein, for example. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I've really started putting the, the, the puzzle pieces together and I've put myself into a better health position, you know? Um, so I don't know where you want to start with this, Nicola, maybe uh, go through some of the the kind of documentaries and the kind of some of the not necessarily like documentary by documentary but the the kind of way you see this play out in the real world because i'm sure you know lots of plant-based dieters again it is uh, a lot of women that do this you know and you have a lot of female clients and also I presume you have a lot of female friends you know so you've seen this <laughs> you've seen this in in the real world so what's the kind of conversation how does someone start off being uh know plant-based dieter and how does someone in that kind of circle communicate their thoughts and what is the you know the media i suppose that they're being exposed to 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this has been driven by social media, but not just social media, the documentary documentaries that have come out in recent years as well. Um, and they're a huge um, talking point, you know, and I suppose the issue um, when you see that these documentaries is that they throw up a lot of studies um, and they make you think that what they're saying is true um, and grounded in science. But really, um, by saying that this or that is in in a study it kind of gives this false sense of authority and it makes you believe what someone's saying is true and um, but really what they're doing is they're they're using a lot of studies that are either fabricated or they're poorly designed um, and I suppose this is the issue that that I have with a lot of these again you know I'm a moral ethical vegetarian um, but they're they're pushing us with the vegan agenda through lies and um, I don't think that's particularly helpful and I don't think that that's the right way to push it forward um, and you'll hear a lot of the creators being like you know we're not telling people to go vegan we're just giving them the facts you know we're just giving them the studies they can they can decide um, but that's it's completely fabricated um, and like I said it's just pushing pushing the the wrong agenda and they're the again the the emotiveness and the enthusiasm for the diet um you know just outweighs the science behind it yeah and it's really weird myself and gary i, mean, I must have been uh, 2018 2019 whenever gary stayed in my house for eight, six months in my like family home and uh we were like 2017 2017 um and that was when was it what the health came out was that oh one? yeah we did like a play by play yeah, we were like oh look this is something that people are talking about we might as well like sit down and watch it and you know whatever um we went through it and like i like a lot of history so like i was looking at this through the lens of like you know historical stuff and i was like this literally it just as the nazi playbook of propaganda like if you got joseph Goebbels' like playbook of propaganda it's like it hit every single point which is really interesting because hitler was also a plant-based eater he was a vegetarian as well so like this is when i was looking at that i was like this does not bode well <laughs> uh for the thing but if you're just a normal person looking at that and going you know especially if you've been exposed to some of those like uh what's that company uh peta or pita or whatever the company is um yeah. like they show these horrific videos of like you know animal slaughterhouses and stuff like if you're seeing that and then you see uh you know what the health or one of these other documentaries and you're kind of like i don't know like what should I do here? You know, it can be very hard to make educated decisions because emotions are so high in that case. Cause look, I don't think anyone really wants animals to suffer. Like I'm sure there are psychopaths out there. And like, usually it is one of those hallmarks of, you know, psychotic people where they're like, they start injuring animals or killing animals before they go on to start like <laughs> being a serial killer. So it's like, nobody wants that, you know, but that doesn't mean that these documentaries are, good doesn't mean that these documentaries are actually putting out a balanced uh, viewpoint to the world yeah absolutely like even you know a friend of mine who again is vegan vegetarian i think she's kind of slipped up a bit maybe eating some chicken whatever it was and she's got i need to go look at some slaughter videos you know so it's absolutely wild but that that's how people are kind of drilling it in into their heads um, but that's one thing, again, when clients come to me and they're like, I want to eat more plant based, I want to be more vegan, vegetarian. It's like, why? First, let's get down to the, you know, why do you want to do this? Um, how are we going to get there? And kind of what is the quality of your diet now? Is this something that is realistic for you to work towards at the minute? Um, so and how can we work towards that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, okay. I was no, I was just going to say that I think that one of the things as well that's often um lost in the irish in in you know people that we would know because we're from ireland 
is that like what what's missing is that when you're looking at these documentaries the vast majority of like the horrific practices um, and the worst cases of like factory farming and meat processing etc the vast majority of them are in you know the us and other countries like irish meat processing farming practices etc are extremely different from those in the US and even like EU regulatory processes on um, the use of exogenous antibiotics, ho uh, hormones, etc., are vastly different. So like when you look at the quality of, of Irish beef, for example, it's not just the, the quality of the, the meat itself, but also the practices that go behind that. So like you're not going to find anywhere in Ireland, not that I'm aware of, one of those absolutely insane thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of factory farms um, that you're going to see in a lot of those those documentaries. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because, you know, I'm from, I'm from Kerry and I have a lot of friends who are farmers uh, who have, you know, uh, dairy farms and uh, cattle, etc. And you know, they, they've been a, a they, they definitely get affected by that because, you know, they're everyone that watches those documentaries think that the farmer down the road is complicit in some of those horrific actions, which is just a totally different thing. So you can even make steps towards a more ethical diet by, um, for example, like you're still obviously causing the, the death of an animal, but you're doing it in maybe a more humane manner, you might say, if you're buying from, you know, Johnny and Clannacilty, then if you're buying beef in some, you know, state in the or some massive factory farm in the US. So there's a spectrum there, even at that high level of being a meat eater, uh, that I think is important to, to remember, particularly given that we're a country that's uh, very much renowned for our agriculture and meat and everything. So yeah, and especially in Ireland, like you have some of the best grazing practices, some of the actual best like CO2, CO2 sequestration practices as well. And like the Irish government actually just fucks over Irish farmers because they don't count that towards it. Like we literally grow grass like nobody's business, but that's not counted in uh, our CO2 calculations or our carbon emission calculations, which is disgusting. Same with hedgerows. And um, we also have these like practices that are like basically multi-paddock uh, adaptive grazing strategies, which are unbelievable for the actual soil itself, right? So you actually get more from the cows than just the actual meat you know but anyway we won't get off into a side tangent on that but in ireland it is different in england it is different as well than again these huge slaughterhouses now can it be better for sure we can always you know improve on something you know but anyway look we won't spend too long on the the morals or ethics because yeah. that's you know it's kind of a an individual thing you know you have to look at your own you'd be introspective with that stuff you know we can we can provide you with the facts um but we can't actually make those decisions for you but you have to actually get the facts you have to actually be able to decipher the facts you know um but anyway look we'll we'll kind of move on to the next thing which is well first of all are plant-based diets healthy you know this is this is something that you have to consider first of all you've watched a documentary and you go jesus what the fuck, you know, I didn't realize all of this, you know, whatever documentary it is, you're like, Jesus, I need to, I need to do something about my diet. Right. We'll talk about, you know, maybe transitioning to a, a plant-based diet, some of the hurdles that you'll find. But the first thing we need to do before we even do that is go, well, is this actually healthy? If you're trying to improve your health is switching to a plant-based diet, a healthy diet. What are your thoughts, Nicola? 
Okay, yeah, well, I suppose despite a lot of studies showing potential benefits, I think we need to look at the overall picture. And I think that's objectively is that, um, it, you know, it's unconvincing whether vegan diets are more healthful over other healthful dietary patterns that are inclusive of meat. Um, and as I was bringing that down even further, we need to define what is a healthy diet, you know, so I suppose for, for everyone that is um, a diet that's um, a nutrient dense diet, mostly whole foods, um, you know, high in fiber, high in fruit and veg, um, enough good quality protein, low in saturated fat, um, etc. And a vegan diet encompasses all of that, um, but so does a diet that's inclusive of meat. And I think that that's something that we need to we need to understand kind of first and foremost, and that it's not, you know, these are diets of exclusion. Um, so we need to look at the effect of the what we are including into the diet before we can say that vegan diets are healthy. It's looking at the diet of the whole and the diet of the individual um, before we can say a blanket, this is a healthy diet. Yeah, like I always ask questions like compared to what, you know, like, oh, you're eating a plant based diet and you think that's healthy compared to what? Like if you compare it to the standard American diet, I'd say eating shit off the street is probably be better. You know, <laughs> so it's like compared to what? Like what are we actually comparing this to? And then you start, you know, dialing that in and going, okay, so if someone smokes, eats, you know, a load of red meat from fast food out outlets, like that's not going to be a healthful diet. That's not going to be a healthful, you know, population. You know, compared to someone that's a a plant based diet. You know, you always do that. What's that? A religious group in America? Is it the Seventh Day Adventists? Who is it? Mormons? I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, they, the Seventh Day Adventists. Yeah, uh, they basically just eat like a relatively plant-based diet, and they have good health. You know, so everyone goes, "Oh, like clearly the diet, you know, it's it's associated with good health." But they also do all these other practices that are health-promoting practices. They have good community. They don't. They like they literally are like go to sleep early, do all the stuff that's like we know these are good health-promoting practices. So you can't pin it squarely on the diet. And it's the same when you talk about like you know poorer diets or bad diets it's like hey, but what are the other practices what's the whole that we're looking at here like oh these people that eat you know fast food and stuff you know you're not going to be like these are people that have a lot of time to be thinking about their health they're a lot of like you know health conscious people and they usually call this like the, the healthy user bias when they're looking at different diets but it's very hard again as an individual to understand all this stuff you read some research and you don't have that wider picture that wider body of the research because you're only reading one paper. You don't have time to sit down for 40 hours and read through all of these different papers and go, oh, this is this is the the actual issue at hand here. And these are the, the, the benefits and the pros and the cons and whatever else, you know. But having said that, I would consider if a well a well-planned vegan or plant-based diet in general, I would consider it quite healthy. You know, if we're moving away from that standard American diet, you know, that standard Western diet, whatever you want to call it, if you're talking about gradations of health you know if we move away from that standard western diet to a plant-based diet even if you do a relatively poorly planned plant-based diet i would probably say you'd get better health you know what are your thoughts about that yeah absolutely i mean if, if you're following a vegan diet that's high in minimally processed foods if you're eating your your tofu your tempeh your seitan that's going to be full of you know um like vegetables and fruits that's going to be a really good diet um but not all vegan diets are created equal 
Um, and I suppose that that's where it comes down to. But overall, um, again, if you're following a minimally processed diet, that's going to be, you know, a really good diet to follow, like fat, you know. Um, but again, we just need to look at the effect of the substitution. Um, and again, that's something that I discuss with clients. OK, what are we going to what are we going to replace this with? Well, what are we going to replace your chicken with? Are we replacing this with uh, Beyond Meat Burger um, or are we replacing this maybe with um tofu and tempeh or you know lentils in the same meal um like what are what are what are we going for here mm. and this is one of those things like I, I say all the time to people that are you know thinking about transitioning to a more plant-based diet it's like do you know how to eat that way you know it's and i don't that sounds really kind of like i don't know condescending it's like do you even know how to eat that way you know but like truly do you know how to cook these foods like if i said to gary gary i need you to just cook up some tempeh there You'd be like, what, like, um, okay, you know, like, where do you get that tempeh in a, you know, a Tesco or wherever, what uh, shop, do you know where to get that, Gary? You'd be like, um, I, I don't know where it is in the shop. Like, so there's all these little things that you don't necessarily think of initially with the diet that you're like, okay, I actually have to change an entire, you know, set of processes, a set of beliefs, set of belief, like set of, you know, day-to-day -day living that I do to actually do this, you know, and a lot of, you know, plant-based dieters as they transition, they do struggle with that. At least I found that in my experience with, you know, clients that have that even moved more towards a plant-based diet, like they might have only have, you know, meat at the, the evening meal. They might be like, right, for the rest of the meal is going to be more plant-based. And like you said there, Nicola, it's, it's one of those things where you're going, okay, we know, and we'll, we'll touch on them in a second. We know there are some nutrients that are harder to get with a plant-based diet, right? So what are you going to do to solve that? Do you have an idea? Do you have a plan? And I often ask my clients that even though like i'm there to help them with the plan i want to know what they know right away what they're thinking straight away because that actually is really informative and it's something that you can do yourself and going especially as we go through this and go okay like say for example everyone knows protein is a harder nutrient for plant-based eaters to get you know in general right it's one that they traditionally struggle with so if you're transitioning to a plant-based diet where are you going to get protein? Well, how are you going to reach your protein requirements? You know, a lot of plant-based ciders, what they do is they bury their head in the sand and they go, oh, protein just isn't that important. Like you'll see this all over the internet, all over social media. Oh, actually, I don't need to focus on that as much because it's just not that important. You know, that's a meat propaganda or whatever, you know? And it's like, no, you can't, you can't just move the goalposts. You can't just change the goalposts. Like you see this again, we talked about it before with like carnivore dieters, you know, where they're like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter that my testosterone is like 200 nanograms per deciliter or whatever. It's literally in the fucking toilet. And my SHBG is, you know, as high as the reference range will even go and, and beyond. And it's like, they're like, oh, but it's fine because, you know, because I'm not eating as much carbs or whatever. And they make up all these like mechanistic hypothesis, hypothesis and go, oh, it's because of that. It's fine. And it's like, you don't just get to move the goalposts. Oh, so for everyone else, the goalposts are here. But for you, oh, we can change them. It's fine. You know, and you see this again with like, and Gary always talks about like all these like huge LDL spikes and they're on this like ketogenic or carnivore diet. And you're like, you can't just move the goalposts because you like this way of eating, you know? Um, so we can't do that with, you know, a plant-based diet either. We have to go, okay, these are the general things that we agree on for health, right? We can maybe modify them slightly, but not this huge shift. So if we know protein is important, where are you going to get that in the diet? What, what, how are you going to, how, how are you going to solve that issue? You know, and this is again, where we really have to dig into that the practical stuff of, okay, this is an issue that, you know, plant-based dieters have, how are we going to solve it? 
what are our tools in the toolbox here? Oh, we have these food sources. Do you know where to get them? Do you know how to cook them? You don't? Okay, then before we even transition, you need to get educated on how do I cook these meals? How do I actually shop for this stuff? Do I need to go to speciality stores? Do I need to do X, Y, Z? We need to do that before we transition. And unfortunately, a lot of people, they transition and they fall into a pattern of that uh, standard Western plant-based diet, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, it's a plant-based diet, but the only plants that people eat are bread. You know, <laughs> it's like, that's the closest to a plant someone gets. They're literally like, oh, I eat toast in the morning and then I eat, you know, some sort of bread product in the afternoon, maybe some biscuits, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's just not a well thought out diet. It's not a well-planned diet. And unfortunately, those people are probably not getting health benefits even switching from that standard Western diet, the standard American diet, you know? So how do we kind of solve that problem? And what do you see that as the kind of transition that often happens in the general public? Like obviously it doesn't happen with the people that we're coaching because we're helping them with it. But in the general public, when you see someone transition to a plant-based diet or a, a lower meat diet, what mistakes do you see they make? What, what issues do you see crop up for them? Yeah, so first and foremost is, is protein. And even for women who um, aren't looking to go vegan, vegetarian, I do find that the protein intake is, is a little bit lower. And even for the general population, like we want the recommendations to be a little bit higher, even as we go quote, get older, um, you know, for, um, you know, our muscles, our bones, as we age, and we need, you know, a slightly higher protein intake than we're having. And particularly for us in the fitness industry, we are looking for that higher range. Um, obviously, we're trying to look for um, muscle growth and recovery in the gym. Um, so protein is the first thing that I'll tackle. We need to compare animal protein and plant protein. So animal protein is a more complete source of protein. It has all your essential amino acids. It's more easily absorbed in the body. Whereas plant protein, um, it's an incomplete source of essential amino acids. Um, so you need um, a range, I suppose, of different plant protein sources to make up that full complement, to have that kind of full spectrum of amino acids. And then adding another layer onto that, again, this is more important in you know, the fitness industry where we focus on it, on it more, I suppose, um, is the, the leucine content of these um, protein um, sources. So again, um, animal-based foods are higher, generally higher in, in leucine, um, which is kind of, I suppose, the, the switch to trigger muscle protein synthesis, as we know. Um, and plant-based foods are generally that little bit lower. Um, so again, that's another layer um, that it's not the first thing that I'll say to a client. So be like, what the hell is leucine? Um, so first and foremost, we just look at trying to get that that protein intake a little bit higher. Um, so with animal foods, you know, it's, it's quite easy. We're trying to get, you know, an, an animal source of protein at, at every meal. Um, for plant-based proteins to try and get that full spectrum in at meals to try and get kind of hit that kind of leucine threshold and um, what I say is generally you have to kind of two sources of a, a plant-based um, protein um, so with that you're trying to ensure again that full spectrum of the amino acids is there and the leucine content will be a little bit higher and what's important about this as well is what I find when people are transitioning away from um, a diet that's inclusive of meat is they're kind of missing that centerpiece of the meal and I think particularly in Ireland you know we grew up with you know having the the steak or the chicken and that was the main part of the meal so once you take that away what are you replacing it with so that's what we're looking at we're looking at maybe one to two sources of um, a plant protein at every meal 
um, and we're looking for really for um, meat um, eaters, you're looking at 20, 25 grams per meal, but for plant-based, you're looking for a little bit higher. Um, and again, that's just looking for the full complement of, of amino acids. So um, that's first and foremost what we'll be looking at. We need to look at cooking methods then. So do you know how to cook um, tofu, tempeh, um, seitan, um, edamame? Um, do you know where to buy them? So for a lot of people, you're shopping in, um, you know, Tesco, Little, and you can absolutely get these stuff in there. Um, and there's been a more, there's been a much wider range in recent years um, of this kind of stuff. But if you go to, you know, um, Asian markets in town or whatever, you can get literally things that are triple the size for like a quarter of the price. Um, so it, it, it's little things like that, because I know one of the one of the biggest things that I hear is it's like I can't afford that, you know, tiny block of tofu in Tesco, um, you know, when a big thing of chicken is the same price. Um, so that's another thing to consider is do you know where to buy this stuff um, and then do you know how to cook it? What ways do you enjoy cooking it? Do you prefer um, softer tofu? Do you prefer firmer tofu? And um, so it's about shopping around for, for that sort of stuff as well. This is one of those things as well that. Uh, traditionally especially women have always been the oh you look after the the family as well the family food you're doing the, the evening cooking and if you're in a position where you're like I kind of want to at least personally move towards a more plant-based diet how do you then transition the rest of the family or are you leaving the rest of the family like are they saying the same or are you transitioning your meals to like oh you I don't know you're making a I don't know, a bolognese type dish, you know, and you're like, okay, before I put in the meatballs, I'm going to take my portion out and the rest of the family can have the meatballs or the whatever, the mince or whatever it is, whatever you're doing. You're like, okay, this is how, like, you have to think of those things. And then you have to think, okay, well, how am I going to get my protein into that meal as well? You know, now obviously a lot of that has changed in recent years. Well, at least in my experience, like guys do a lot more cooking. It's not just the women that are left to, you know, look after the family, but regardless, if you are, the primary person looking after the family food, this is still stuff that you have to be thinking about. You still have to be thinking, well, okay, if I'm transitioning to this, are the family transitioning to this? Is this something that just affects me? Or is it something that I'm going to have to now cook separate meals entirely, you know? And it's all these little practical things that you have to think of, because again, if you don't think of these, the other thing that happens is you go, oh, well, I cooked the meal for the family and they had the meat and potatoes and whatever else. And you go, oh, like, I, I didn't want to eat that because, you know, I didn't have a, the centerpiece, the meat there. So all I had instead was, you know, a bowl of cereal or something. You know, it's like you're not you're not eating well as a result of yeah looking after your family. But because you've no plan, you've no practical like this is how I'm going to solve these issues. Unfortunately, then don't solve those issues, you know. Um, and one of those things you said on the expense of it as well, like this is one of those things where, you know, like the vast majority of people have figured out, oh, there's different ways to shop around to get better deals. Like people will be like, oh, I buy my meat here and I get my veg here and whatever. Like they'll go to two or three different shops because they're like, this is actually a overall cheaper way to live, especially like myself and Gary, we come from like lower socioeconomic status areas. So you'll be like, oh, people are definitely shopping around to like, oh, go to a little or go to an Aldi or whatever, because you can't go down to, I don't know, Marks and Spencers and go, oh, I'll just get all this, you know, high, high quality, high, great food. You know, I'd be like, oh, that's a, that's a nice treat every now and again. But unfortunately it's not the, the weekly or the daily shop, you know? So what has to happen then is you have to plan this stuff out, but then also you don't have 
necessarily a a guide to help you you know like if you're talking to all the other people in your community in your area and they're like oh yeah like little has a deal on you know their whatever it is their five veg or whatever they do you know it's like they have a deal on this thing you're like, oh cool we can get that blah 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 you see, you see all these things and if you're a plant-based cider you're not getting that insider info you're not getting that i like oh mary down the road said that there's a deal on over here or you know whatever it is you're, you're not getting as much of that information so that means that there's an extra onus on you to now have to really shop around really be looking for those deals really be looking for okay well how can i save money and like you said oftentimes especially with uh, <clears throat> protein sources asian markets are great for this stuff you know but that might involve now oh well that means that you have to travel into town for example once a week you know it's like that's something that you have to consider now to add into the cost the time effort etc and this is stuff that people just don't think about when they initially transition because like how would you how would you know to think about this stuff you know so you have to really put the stuff in place if you were trying to make this a successful way of eating a way of life and unfortunately what often happens is people don't they just stick to that like i'll just have the the bread, the, the pasta, you know, I just, I won't have a protein source with this, you know? And this is also one of the reasons that, you know, plant-based dieters find it so hard to eat enough protein, you know, because it requires more thought. Like it requires a lot of thought to set up a well-planned omnivorous diet. It requires even more thought to set up a well-planned out like plant-based diet, you know? And if you're not willing to put in that thought, you're not going to get the results that you want. You know, <clears throat> yeah, and let me just say one thing on that as well is like the difference between um, efficacy and effectiveness is something that's often talked about in research more broadly. So, for example, um, plant, you might say that a plant based diet is very efficacious in, in the sense that if done correctly, perfectly, it can have great outcomes. However, whether or not something is actually effective depends on what happens when you take that intervention in a sterile setting, for example, in a med in a metabolic ward with all meals provided. Um, and you put that out in the real world and you say, right, everyone do this. Then you have to observe what happens and the effectiveness of uh, the recommended intervention. For example, let's say construct a well-planned vegan di vegan diet. Here are your uh, protein options, you know, tofu, seitan, et cetera. Um, here's how much fiber you should get and so on. If you take all of that advice and you apply it to the population, the impact that that's going to have on, let's say, 20 to 30-year-old females versus 20 to 30-year-old males versus 70 to 80-year-old males, um, there's going to be massively you know, different effects there. Like if I went down to my my granda now and I asked him, you know, um, have you ever had have you ever had tofu? You know, or granda, would you know how to cook a a stir fry with seitan or whatever. He's going, what? Well, excuse me? What are you talking about? You know? So this kind of dream that we can apply a healthful diet to the whole population by just telling people what to do, it's very much a dream. And I think you have to consider the, the cultural context and also the population of interest uh, when you're thinking about applying this type of intervention. Because like personally, even for me now, like I'm familiar with um, how to construct a plant-based diet. I'm familiar with some of the protein sources, but like taste preference aside, I would find it really difficult to make that transition because I'm quite time poor and like learning how to cook these things. I have zero interest in that. Like when I cook meals, 
it's about efficiency. I'm trying to get it done as quickly as possible. And if I was to start experimenting with tofu and seitan and these types of things, like it's just, it's just not for me, you know, right now. And that's important to consider because there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are time poor, who even the, the friction of having to go to different stores uh, to change their standard shopping routine, to learn new methods of cooking and, and to, you know, prepare meals from, fre- from scratch all the time. There's a lot of friction there. And that's even goes for when people are eating out at the moment, because for example, if I'm in, if I'm in a rush and I haven't eaten, like my go-to is to get my protein in is I'll grab like a, a protein bar in the shop, or I'll grab maybe a packet of pre-prepared meat or something like that with whatever else. And that just allows me to get my protein in on the go. And I'm lucky enough, or we're lucky enough that right now there are plant-based protein bars that you can pick up. Generally, they're probably a little bit, bit less palatable still, but they've improved a lot. But that's not the case for everyone. You know, if you go to Super Value here in Carrigaline, or you go to Super Value in Cork City, and then you go to Super Value up in Nakmahini, this, uh, which is a, a very you know poverty-stricken area in, in Cork uh, compared to a lot of other areas, the contents of those stores are vastly different. And that's something I don't think a lot of people appreciate is that telling someone in a low socioeconomic status area to try to go and buy all these foods, like they literally mightn't even be sold. Like you go to these shops, there's less fruits and vegetables. There's less of a range of selection of fresh fruits and vegetables. You're not going to have that, you know, that section that's in all super values with like all the health foods and all the protein bars. That's not there in Nakhini because there's not a market for it. So Considering those things is really, really important because we it's very easy to get into our own bubbles and think that everyone has the same resources and everyone has the same interest in making their diet such a core part of their life. But that's just not reality. Most people eat something that's quick, relatively tasty, and isn't too bad for their health. Like that's the extent of the vast majority of people's decision making. And a lot of people who are on more niche diets like vegan diets or um, carnivore diets or keto diets or whatever, by definition, like there's a selection bias there and that those people have a clear expressed interest in making their diet one part of their identity and two, a big part of their life. So that's, that's just not the vast majority of the population. So that that's my two cents there. Just really, really keep that in mind because that also applies to everyone who talks about calorie tracking and everyone who talks about meal planning like it's it's that's not the reality for the vast majority of people yeah like it's, it's weird because obviously like, i grew up in dublin so dublin is probably the most uh i say progressive but not in terms of like you know left-wingism or whatever but like progressive in terms of your access to different types of yeah. food variety of food like you go to dublin you versus you know Kerry, you're gonna oh you have all these different protein bars you have all these different things because D- dublin has a huge market for all of these different things, you know? Whereas, like, I've moved from Dublin, so we'll say that's the, the pinnacle of availability, you know? Obviously, different areas within there, but the pinnacle of availability in Ireland, right? To London, which you would presume is the pinnacle of availability in England. But the difference even there, like, you don't have the same selection of, like, protein bars. Now, that makes sense because, you know, the dairy industry in Ireland is huge, so they obviously want to make as much uh, products from that. But you don't have the same selection of... Uh, protein bars now you can go into certain shops and stuff but it's not just in your average everyday tesco like yeah they do have the protein bars on a little like rack but some you know literally uh whatever like uh petrol stations or whatever in ireland just a random little small petrol station would have far bigger 
selection of protein bars and different things than you know just your averagely stocked tesco or whatever over here so it's different just and ireland and england are relatively similar like we're all in that atlantic archipelago you know very similar cultures don't ever you know say that to an irish person but relatively similar cultures and stuff and you can already see there's a difference here in terms of availability and access you know and i literally as i said like was in barcelona a week ago or whatever and like i saw maybe two protein bars over there you know just in your average everyday shop you know but if I go over there, you're seeing all this availability of like fresh fruits and, you know, really colorful, like nice fruits, really nice meats, like Iberian ham. Oh, like, you know, uh, Iberian pork, every, oh, like delicious, but like, it's not the same as what we have over here, you know? So you can imagine across the world, there's just different availability, different access. And if you've never experienced that, you've never traveled outside of your own little bubble, like you're not going to know what that's like and you see this all the time in terms of you'll see someone from i don't know los angeles or whatever in america someone in california recommending oh this is how people should eat a, a plant-based diet and whatever and it's like yeah because you have a larger community of people over there that are eating in a similar way so you have a much greater ability to eat like that you know and like there are some like uh, vegan and plant-based restaurants over here in london you know and i think there are some in dublin as well but i couldn't imagine there's one in Kerry. you know no, <laughs> like there might be <laughs> that's what i was just thinking is that like um even like if you if you put like the plant-based things aside like even if you think of maybe um restaurants that would be like ridiculously common in, in cork or dublin like like let's say burrito places right you got Bujum, Talteca, Burrito Blues, Zambrero. Like there's there's literally tens of them that you could choose from in Dublin, all of them relatively decent. And they're probably a type of fast food that we consider to be more on the healthy spectrum. Like if me and you were going for food patty, we generally get a burrito. And I would do the same in Cork. If I wanted a meal, I'd get a burrito. There's not a single burrito place in Kerry, the whole county of Kerry. There's not one burrito place. You can get it like there's Mexican restaurants where you can get one to sit down. But like there's no Bujum, there's no Talteca. There's absolutely none of that. It just doesn't exist. And if I was to get a takeaway in Killarney when I'm home, and Killarney now considers a fairly built up area of Kerry in comparison um, and a lot more modern. Uh, you know, there, I can't really think of anywhere that I would go to get a healthy takeaway, so to speak. Like it just doesn't really exist. Like we've got... You've got Chippers, you've got Four Star, you've got Domino's, you've got McDonald's. Um, there's not even a Burger King anymore that closed. So there's there's very limited options. Uh, whereas if you're in, like you say, somewhere in California or uh, you're, you know, in the in the US in particular, but even in like London and stuff, depending on the area of London, of course, you're going to have such a wide range of options that you could potentially uh, choose from, whether it be plant based or it be a more health focused um type of diet I, I found this fascinating as well like this week in in the uk like you've probably all seen the uproar about calorie labels on menus and that type of thing and it just it just seemed like such a, a first world problem that everyone was arguing about <laughs> we're arguing about whether or not nutrition information should be available and these restaurants that we all eat out at regularly <laughs> it just seems so absurd to me um but yeah, they're just I we're we're gonna keep talking about this if we don't move on. But basically, the point is, you're there's vastly different access to these types of restaurants, types of foods, um, easily accessible foods, depending on where you live, both uh, internationally and uh, regionally within countries. So keep it in mind. 
Yeah, I think that the organizational thing is important as well, though. I think being vegan, vegetarian, you have to be more organized. And like yeah. you said, you do have to have more time. And um, like I said, it's only since January that I started eating fish again. And that was, again, purely out of convenience, mostly. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of time when I was a student. But now, like I moved from Dublin to Waterford, I started working full time and, and doing work for triage. And what what it's meant for me is instead of coming home and like I have nothing in the house you know and having like a bagel meant I can come home and have like a piece of salmon and maybe a bit of broccoli that takes like 20 minutes you know instead of trying to like marinade tofu or you know like it's it just it's made a huge difference you know in, in my life in terms of time and in terms of I suppose quality of food so in terms of murdering fish and in terms of slaughtering, slaughtering. <laughs> The salmon population in Ireland. <laughs> oh, you're something like uh, Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yes, no, I completely agree. I think the organizational aspect is really important. Like on my other screen here on my computer, I've just I've got um a nutri quick pulled up because I'm trying to, you know, order some meals because I'm I'm time poor. And again, like what a luxury to be able to, you know, have access to that service. But again, it goes back to the point that even on my omnivorous diet it's sometimes like food prep is is something that is just i just don't have that much time for it so getting yeah. something else is is really helpful so um i do think that's important and i think that even if you're someone that is you know um coming at it from a like let's say you have a health concern but you also have an ethical or moral moral concerns you can start by making those small steps and i find that like it depends on what what area of the internet you are because I, I like to observe these trends and in some areas of um, like vegan Twitter, plant-based dieters and stuff like that. It's very much all or nothing that if someone um, cheats on their vegan diet, you know, they eat a bit of meat every now and then it's like morally reprehensible and they feel an extreme amount of guilt for that. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's right. I don't know, but I think that that makes it very difficult for people that they feel they have to take such a massive leap rather than just taking these small steps to improving their diet over time. And I think you can, you can consider your journey, so to speak, towards a plant-based diet to be something that you take over a number of years. Like maybe you are in that position where you're a student now, or you're a busy uh, junior doctor who doesn't have much time. And you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to reduce my meat intake slightly um, and increase the amount of plants that I eat. But to be honest, right now, it's not time for me to fully dive in. So maybe when I've a bit more money, a bit more time, uh, et cetera, in a couple of years, I'll take another step and then another step. And then I'll try to make that sustainable um, by the time that, you know, I have a family and everything. So that I know how to cook these meals. I can pass these lessons on to my kids, et cetera. So rather than just being all or nothing, and we say this in relation to any diet, you know, um, dip your toes in and take small steps. And I think that's probably the best way if you're going to make that leap. Absolutely. 100%. Um... So controversial one. What are your thoughts on uh, plant-based meats? Right. Um, do you think that's a, a way we could solve this issue? Do you think that's a way the industry is going to solve this? You know, you're saying, "Oh, I'm time poor." Would it be, you know, handy enough for you to just come home and go, "Oh, I have, you know, a plant-based burger in my freezer here. Let me just defrost that. Boom, there we go." Or like, you know, say, seitan nuggets, seitan chicken nuggets, like they are fucking delicious. Now they are twice the cost of chicken nuggets or at least for the same cost. Where did, where did you get them? Sorry to interrupt you. Where'd you get them? Do you like buy them and cook them yourself or in a restaurant? Just Tesco, you know? 
Ah, interesting. I might give them a shot. Hey, but anyway, look, they're about twice the cost. <laughs> they're about twice the cost for the same amount. Okay. So you're getting whatever, 36 chicken nuggets, and you're getting 20 Satan nuggets, you know? Um, okay. But regardless, you know, is, is this how it's going to be solved? Is this what's going to happen? We're going to have an industry where, you know, we just come up with all these different plant-based foods. We just come up with all these different meat substitutes and that's it that's how it's going to be solved because i know like well there is a difference in terms of okay we're having a you know linda mccartney sausage right uh or we're having a you know beyond burger you know and it's like there's gradations here but what are your thoughts nicola as someone who has been a plant-based eater what are your thoughts in terms of would that be the thing that would allow you to eat a healthier diet allow you to eat a you know, at least solve the protein component of the diet and especially with the, you know, the time aspects, et cetera. Now, obviously, look, again, it is a privilege because a lot of these things are more expensive, but let's assume that the cost isn't the issue here. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is this is the thing. And another reason why I went back to eating fish, because I felt like I had a huge over-reliance on these kind of foods, you know, is coming home. Um, and, you know, having the, the sausages or the burgers. And I was like, what's the difference between eating this and eating a normal burger or a normal sausage? Um, and I think, you know, we kind of what, what's been good about these these foods is that it's made um, eating vegetarian or vegan more accessible. It means that vegans, vegetarians can, you know, go to a barbecue and still not have to, you know, eat nothing. Um so it, it's made it more a more an accessible diet in that sort of a way. Um, but again, you know, I think they can be, um, you know, deceiving, I suppose, in, in one way, because we make the presumption that something's labeled vegan or vegetarian, that this is a healthful thing to eat. But what it's doing is it's just excluded, um, you know, the meat, like what what is what is included in, in these meals. And um, one that I, you know, always bring it back to is you all know the corn products like microprotein. Um, so it's fungal derived and generally it's quite a good source of protein. It's a complete source of protein. It has um, fiber, vitamins, minerals. Um, and even, tastes good. Don't forget that. Huh? It, tastes, it. it tastes it tastes really good as well. Um and there is, there's, you know, kind of studies coming out now and it's comparing, um, you know, the microprotein to, to milk protein and mu- muscle protein synthesis. And it's showing, you know, I suppose early on that there, that it, I suppose it is, it is looking like it's having a similar benefit, still probably one rung below meat products. Um, but then you have to compare um, the corn products in itself. So let's say you take the, the mince, for example, that's like 90% mycoprotein, which is fantastic. Um, but then you look at like the, the corn nuggets, um, which are actually like 30% mycoprotein, you know, so the other like 70%, like what is that composed of? It's composed of like the batter, it's composed of additives. Um, so again, just because something is, you know, um, a meat substitute, again, what is the effect of the substitution? Like what actually is in that? And like I said before, like these are all kind of, you know, uh, kind of newly like highly engineered food products that are kind of new to the food chain. So we, we, we don't know, um their effect long term yet and again they might not be harmful at all but we we can't say that for sure yet um but i think just because something is um exclusive of meat doesn't necessarily mean um doesn't guarantee a health improvement i suppose um but again like i said w- one of the reasons why i switched back to to eating fish was because i was over reliant on these foods i still do think these foods are fantastic 
um, and, you know, can be included in a diet, but it's when you are substituting in, you know, the sausages at every meal or the burgers at every meal. I think it's the Beyond Burger um, in America. It has like the, the same amount of like calories, um, protein, um, saturated fat as like, um, you know, a McDonald's burger. Um, so. Mm. And this is one of those things, regardless of, you know, whether you use one of these, you know, engineered meats or whatever, like when you're trying to solve the protein issue for a plant-based dieter, you run into a lot of issues. And one of those issues is, well, what else is coming with that protein? You know, like you said, okay, we've got this, you know, corn mince or whatever, right? And it's like, okay, we've got this, you know, it's microproteins, it's 90 plus percent, you know, mushrooms <laughs> or whatever. It's like, okay, cool. We have that. So we can kind of get an idea of, okay, that's the protein source, relatively lean protein source fantastic but then we look at other ones and like you said with the the, the microprotein nuggets or whatever you're like okay this is only 30 percent here right or you look at even just you know whole foods you go for okay well what's a whole food like high protein you know plant-based food source and you're like okay cool pick whatever it is and then you have to go okay well that actually comes with 30 grams of carbs for the 30 grams of protein you know or it comes with some fat or it comes with you know something else uh, or it's like to get the 30 grams i have to eat like two kilos of this stuff you know it's like you have to think about all of that stuff when you're trying to actually solve this protein issue right so it's like what else comes with it and how much of this do i actually need to eat in terms of like the physical quantity and this is just something that it takes a lot of time to really dial in on what works for you because you, you see people try to solve this online in terms of like give recommendations and they'll be like, Oh, do this and do this, but they're not helpful for the individual. Like, you know, I might be like, Oh, well, I really like, you know, red meat and I eat more red meat than I eat chicken. And if all I find online is like, Oh, everyone should eat chicken. It's like, it's not really solving the problem for me. I still need to get, you know, information for me, which is not as readily available for you because again plant-based dieter you're a niche in the whole you know uh microcosm of the possible diets you know yeah absolutely but anyway look protein is a the the be all and end all or sorry protein isn't the be all and end all for you know what could potentially go wrong or potentially we need to look at with a plant-based diet now before we go on to just touching on some of the other nutrients of concern because we did touch on this in the last podcast so we're not going to spend too much time on this and i you know probably just going to run through this in a more practical way and just go like these are the kind of foods you want to be looking at i do want you to keep in mind that first of all you still have to do the same thing here you have to go okay i have to solve like next one we're going to touch on is just omega-3s right and you go okay if i have to solve this issue what other nutrients are coming along with this, you know, or if we're touching on iron or calcium or whatever, you're like, okay, I'm eating this food to solve this issue, but what other nutrients are coming along with this? And this is something that is really hard for um, plant-based dieters that are trying to change their body composition, right? Like you might be doing something like tracking your calories and macros because you want to know, oh, am I, you know, on track with my calories? Am I getting enough protein? Whatever, right? And you then try to solve the, the protein issue, for example, and now all of a sudden your calories are way off where they, you want them to be. So we have to look into that because I know a lot of people listening to this, they do track their calories, they do track their macros, they do are generally a little bit, you know, more involved in their diet. They're more tracking the, the, the specifics of it. So when we're solving all these different issues, we still have to take into account that, okay, 
well, how does this fit into the actual diet paradigm that we're using? You know, are we just going to go, okay, cool. That solved my iron requirements. And now my fat is up. Like I'm using dark chocolate or something to solve my iron requirements, which probably isn't the, the best way to do it. But now your fat intake is, you know, massive, you know, now obviously like dark chocolate, if you're a vegan, you're probably not eating that, but you know, just taking that as a, as a, uh, an example you know so we have to think about that stuff and um, but before we move on and move away from protein do you have any other anything else to say on protein intake any practical recommendations anything at all either of you well, again i think i think it's just about like again the, the i have one client in particular who i'm working with she wants to work more towards a plant-based diet um for environmental reasons which i know patty that's your that's your top reason for going vegan as well um, the worst reason for <laughs> but um anyways um so she she wants to move more towards it for, for that reason so i mean she's mostly substituting with mycoprotein so again what we're trying to do at this stage is just sit down okay like where where are we currently getting our protein in our meals um, and so we're to say substituting one meal with microprotein. Um, she's going to be, you know, um, learning how to cook tofu. And again, it's it, the, the first step is she was like, you know, this is going to be kind of expensive. It's still something that I want to work towards. I still want to also work towards my goals of trying to hit my protein intake. Um, so it's just about finding, you know, um, cheaply sourced um, meat substitutes. And we have to remember that like we've grown up, you know, cooking a certain way. We've grown up cooking, you know, the same kind of meals, I suppose, as our parents. So you are, you know, retraining yourself to to cook um, to shop in, in a different way. So it is just about taking it slowly and actually just sitting down and kind of mapping out your meals. Where do I currently get my protein? Okay, how can I, what substitutes, what switches can I make to still have the same intake as before? Um, do I know how to cook these meals? Do I enjoy eating these meals? Um, so that that's the first step. But I think um, a combination is really good. So whether you're having, you know, tempeh um, and some bean source that'll also cover like a good carb source. Um, I think mixing in the protein sources in the same meal is is, is a good start. 100%. Um, Gary, do you have anything to say in terms of practical uh, plant-based recommendations? No, sir. I didn't think so. Uh, so maybe we'll just move on to those other nutrients of concern. I don't know, Nicola, do you want to run through these? Because obviously, look, you have more practical experience with this as well. So you could be like, look, this is what's generally recommended, but you know, these are the issues that you run into. Yeah, absolutely. So th there's a couple of key ones, I suppose, when you're going um, vegan, vegetarian, and the first one definitely being B12. Um, th this is mostly important for people that are vegan, not so much vegetarian, because you can get it from you know, your milk um, and other animal products. Um, but um, so B12, you can get it from nutritional yeast. It's definitely not something you want to be um, deficient in, um, you know, for kind of your red blood cells, uh, for your nervous system. Um, but even even supplementing, like I said, with nutritional yeast is a really good, really good form um, of B12. And a lot of people, a lot of people would use and practically speaking, what would that look like? Are you adding that to meals? Are you taking it in capsules? Or like, what's the story? Yeah. Oh, sorry, nutritional yeast. Yeah, so you can you can get it's like a, a powder that you can get in most health health food stores, um, and it has um, kind of a, a cheesy taste to it. Um, so people, if they're making maybe like um, scrambled um, tofu, um, might add it into that, and then that would kind of have your 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 kind of cheesy base for 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 a meal. Yeah, and I find a lot of people add it into sauces if they're like 
oh, I just want to get it in and I just don't want to have to think about it. They'll add it like they're maybe having like a tomato sauce or something. You know, it gives it that little bit of a, a cheddary taste, but it's still like, it's kind of just masked and it, it's just looked after, you know, they don't have to think about it then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, any other nutrients of concern then after after the B12? Yeah, so um, our omegas are another one. But funnily enough, I would find that this is a huge one for, for people who eat meat as well. Um, like a lot of people don't really actually eat a lot of fish. So Gary, not looking at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people wouldn't have this anyway. So even for, for a lot of clients who do eat meat um, but won't eat fish, it's still something that I might be saying you maybe you should consider supplementing with this. Um, so in terms of um, a vegan, vegetarian. So we're mostly looking at our DHA and our, and our EPA for our essential amino acids, essential fatty acids. Um, and then ALA is our, our plant sources, and that can be converted to the, the DHA and the EPA, but it's a it's not a very good conversion. There's not a high rate of conversion. Um, but getting this through your diet and you're looking at like um you're like ground linseeds, um, you're like your rapeseed oil. Um, again, you're looking at supplementing with microalgae um, and that, that'll get you kind of your, your DHA and your, your EPA. Um, but yeah, mostly switching to rape, rapeseed oil, um, ground um, linseeds, flax seeds, chia seeds, incorporating all of them. Again, then you run into issues with people maybe who are trying to, you know, cook calories and suddenly they're trying to add in a whole load of um, chia seeds, um, hemp seeds that again, just do bump up someone's calorie intake. Um, so you do need to look at the, the overall picture, like what is our, what is our primary concern here? Um, is it calorie intake? Is it getting this in? Maybe I need to supplement. And then when I'm back up to, to my, you know, maintenance calories, then maybe I can start, you know, chucking in chia seeds and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like practically speaking, and honey, like the plant-based ciders that I've uh, coached, um, we just go for an algae oil. It's just, you know, easiest way to do it. Now we do still try to work on, okay, can we switch out any of these foods? Can we use like, like you said, like different types of oils or, you know, maybe we can add some nuts or seeds, you know, just to, you know, help from a diet perspective. But practically speaking, if we are also trying to manipulate body composition in any way, like it's very hard to do all of that stuff, get your omega-3 requirements when we're trying to potentially like restrict the amount of fat that you're eating, you know, if we're like, oh, you have to add in these seeds and these nuts and then all of a sudden, you're getting in 20 grams of fat from like seeds and nuts. You're like, okay, well, this is going to make the rest of the diet harder because now I don't have that buffer for other sources of food, you know? Yeah. So practically speaking, I just go, okay, look, get an algae oil. It's the easiest way to do it. Now we are generally of a, a food first mentality, but in this case, I'm kind of like, look, it's, unless you're going to go out there and eat fish an algae oil is just the easiest way to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the same goes for, for a lot of meat eaters as well, who just won't eat fish. Um, so I'm going to say it's same, same. Yeah. And uh, any other nutrients of concern? Because I know like we touched on a lot of them in the, in the last one. I know we have like iron, calcium, we have iodine. We did, we did spend a lot of time on iodine in the last <laughs> one. Um, we do all the other ones like creatine, zinc, choline, folate. Like there's, there's, there, we could spend so long on each individual yeah. ones, but practically speaking, what are the ones that you find are like, these are something that we can really easily solve with just a few diet manipulations um, or that you're like, this is something that we should definitely look into. 
Yeah, so I think creatine actually, you know, is a big one. And, um, you know, vegans, vegetarians do have, um, I suppose, reduced uh, muscle creatine stores. So creatine, again, particularly for us that are looking at sports performance, um, you know, uh, more creatine stores um, will have an increase in not only sports performance, but um, cognition, power output. Um, and then in terms of healthy aging as well, um, you know, I suppose that is the potential to, you know, increase muscle mass or even maintain it. Um, so it is it is something, again, that it's not something that immediately when someone starts with me, I'll recommend supplementing with because they're like, what the hell is that? Um, but definitely down the line. Um, I do think that it's um, particularly if you're looking at um, if you're in the gym, it is something that I think it would be important to supplement with. Yeah, again, red meat, fish, and it's really cheap as well. I mean, you can get like a 500 grams of creatine for like a fiber, you know. I was going to say, like, practically speaking, it's a really well researched supplement. It's so cheap, and you can just add it to like anything. Like, I know people are like, oh, you shouldn't add it to coffee or whatever, you know, because of interactions and whatever. But it doesn't matter. Like, just take it at a time that you can remember to take it. And if you're having a morning coffee, you can just put in five grams you won't even taste it and it's done. You know, you've, you've sorted yourself out. And like, we know from the research that it does help with all the gym performance stuff. We talked about that previously and we do Instagram posts and stuff like that. Um, but even as you age, really important for like maintaining that cognition, improving cognition and stuff. So like, it's a, it's a no brainer for me. And if we have a diet that's potentially deficient in this, look, it's definitely a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Then the, the other only, I say the kind of two big ones, like I said, we spent enough, like you said, enough time on iodine in the last one, but um, kind of calcium and iron will be the, the, the next kind of two big ones. Calcium actually can be, you know, pretty easy to get in with a vegan vegetarian diet. Um, I know that there's kind of been studies kind of coming out that are saying vegans have a, you know, 50% chance of increased fracture risk. Um, but once, um, once it's supplemented or once they're having, you know, adequate calcium levels, that's shown the difference is shown to be negligible and um, which you know is, is important to note um but you know we have a lot of fortified drinks now a lot of the fortified milks um you know are brilliant they do contain um you know almost the same levels of calcium as you know your standard milk which is great and um, so you can get it in through there um tofu as well a lot of tofu is um you know pressed with like a you know calcium um oxalate or whatever and um, so again you'd be getting it in through there temp is the same um so it, it is it is possible i mean a lot of people would think um you know like spinach um but again um spinach doesn't have um great absorption something called oxalates in it and which can bind to the calcium and that reduces its absorption and things like um cooking um the the spinach beforehand can reduce the oxalate content um, which is good but again i wouldn't be using spinach as your main source of of, of calcium um, but again practically speaking you're looking at your tofu you're looking at um fortified milks um and tempeh yeah i think calcium is one of those ones that like it's actually not that hard if you're lucky you know if you're literally just going okay this is something i need to be concerned with and then yeah. you said, like the fortified plant milks and stuff like they can be really really beneficial because like milk is generally the way in the western world at least that we get a lot of our calcium intake from and obviously there are plant sources of this leafy greens like low ox- oxalate leafy greens are generally the best bet yeah. oh i need to get this from a plant source and um, 
but like you said, we have those like cal- uh, calcium set tofu, like that can be really helpful for plant-based dieters. But look, realistically, this shouldn't be an issue if you are looking at it in the diet. And also you can supplement. Now, supplementing is something I'd probably just talk to like a, an actual nutritionist or a dietitian or your doctor with, you know, it's not necessarily something that we need to do for everyone, you know, but, you know, it's also fairly uh, handy. It's fairly easy to get in the diet if you're looking for it again, like those plant-based milks really do help. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the final one, which is also one that you should talk to your doctor with, which is iron, you know, because this is one of those things that especially relevant for women, you know, you find that, okay, women generally have lower iron levels because as we talked about in the last episode, um, and then they switch to a plant-based diet and now they've taken out potentially all their sources of iron in the diet. Like they already didn't eat a lot of red meat and now all of a sudden, boom, we've no meat in general. So what's the story here? How are we sorting out that iron? Yeah, so same same sort of thing. If you are supplementing, you want to kind of talk to your to your doctor first. Um, but getting iron in, you're looking at your pulses, so your beans, your lentils, your chickpeas. Um, again, leafy green veg. They also still contain your oxalates. Um, so again, we're looking at increasing the absorption there. Things like tannins and tea and decreased absorption. So again, if you're looking at having your your pulses or your fortified cereals not having that with your, you know, try not to have that with your coffee or your tea. Um, ways that we can increase absorption of iron then is through vitamin C. Um, so if you're having, you know, some lemon or, uh, you know, uh, an orange or something with your meals that can help increase its absorption as well. Um, so yeah, looking at like, yeah, your nuts, seeds, dried fruit, they all do contain, even though it's minimal, um, you know, sources of iron, but containing enough of them in the diet is going to be um, beneficial. 100%. And you do also have different methods in terms of like, you can cook with iron pans, you know, you, there's also that thing called an iron fish. They do that a lot in the like developing world where like they have low iron intake. So anytime they're like boiling, you know, whatever food, stews or whatever, they just drop in like, which is just a, basically a block of iron it's shaped like a fish and stuff. So just put it into the thing. So that slowly releases some of the iron as it's being boiled over time. So that can help with iron intake. Now, as we talked about in the last episode, we won't belabor the point, like iron intake is something that you should probably just talk to your doctor about. It is something that is more of a nutrient of concern for women. So it is definitely something if you're feeling tired all the time or you have any of the symptoms that are related to uh, low iron intake or anemia or anything, it's like, talk to your doctor. They'll be able to give you a plan of action for this because we have very well thought out plans of action for this that are easy to implement, but it's also not something that everyone needs to be doing you know so yeah everyone needs to get iron in their diet but not everyone needs to supplement with iron there's complications with that so again it is something that you need to talk to your doctor about or at least do a lot of research your own personal research that you actually are like i'm actually capable of doing this research it's not just reading a blog <laughs> online you know um but anyway is there any other things that you want to say about a plant-based diet um either practical stuff or even just you know theoretical stuff that you're thinking about and because i know you obviously have eaten a plant-based diet and also you coach a lot of women that have eaten and are eating a plant-based diet so is there anything else you think we didn't cover in this this podcast that could help 
No, I, I think it's mostly just asking yourself the questions, you know, um, should I go vegan? You know, why do I want to go? First of all, is looking at your why. Is it, you know, health, ethical, environmental? You know, why is it important to you and what does it mean to you? Um, and kind of taking it, taking it from there, like, is it realistic for you? And what way do you currently eat? Um, you know, are you in a position to um, gradually more go towards the, this style of eating? Because um, I think finding out, out your why is, is the most important. Is, is it because you've been, you know, pushed into it from these documentaries saying this is the right thing to do? Um, so understanding that first and foremost and understanding, like we're saying, you might not be in a position to actually eat, eat that way. And that's OK. Um, you know, even if you want to be, you know, pushed more towards it for an ethical way, if, if you're not in a position to, you need to look after your own health first. Um, so I think that that's the that that that's what you need to do first and foremost. And then after that, starting slow, like I was saying already, I'm focused on being just more plant based first and then trying to substitute certain meals with um, you know, plant-based meats, uh, well, plant-based meat substitutes, as it should say. And then, so that's, you know, you're doing it gradually, you're getting, you know, comfortable with cooking, you're getting comfortable with sourcing and um, these foods, and then you're kind of building up your own um, recipe book. Cause like I said, it's a completely different way of eating than, than what you've grown up with. So you need to learn this new style. You need to have your new kind of um, set meals um, you know we all have those meals that we kind of fall back on um, so you're trying to kind of build up your cookbook and um, you're trying to kind of sit down kind of plan okay like wh where am I going to get my protein from like where um, am I going to get you know calcium in and you don't have to you know micromanage it um, but just having you know a general idea of where you're going to get these things um, and then you know supplementing if needed. 100% Gary do you have anything to say about plant-based diets or anything that you've had in a practical experience yourself or with clients? I don't think so. I think we've covered the vast majority of it. I mean, I think that my main concerns with anyone, you know, transitioning to a plant-based diet is like Nicola alluded to there, the steps that they're going to take along the way, you know, are they going to jump right in or are they going to take steps and do they know what's going to be required to take each of those respective steps? I think uh, the big one for our population is, is obviously uh, going to be protein intake um, because, you know, at the, at the best of times when people are eating an, an omnivorous diet, I still struggle to get some clients to hit their protein targets. Uh, the vast majority find it okay. And that depends, you know, where they're coming from uh, as a background. And I think that uh, a lot of people who do transition to a plant-based diet, they choose a lot of healthful foods, but they're often very, you know, low in protein. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the big one to, to try to look after and yeah, just consider, you know, long-term, like where, where, where are you going with this? Do you know the nutrients of concern and do you know what potential health risks are, are there? Because obviously if you're planning to have children or, you know, there's a history of osteoporosis in your family and those types of things, there are certain risks that if you're not looking after the nutrients of concern, you might run into. So that's, that's the primary concern from my perspective. I don't think I have too much else to add. Fantastic. Well then wrap us up, Gary, tell people where they can find us, etc. Yep. So first things first, if you do need uh, help getting your nutrition in order or your training and nutrition, we do have coaching spaces available. So the first thing is to check out the information in the description box below. You can look at, you know, all the testimonials from our clients. You might want to look at our social media and stuff first to see if we're, you know, in line 
with what you'd like. And uh, I think that you would really benefit from following our social media if you're interested in health and fitness broadly, because we've got a very wide selection of content now because of the different members on the team, you know, from nutrition to pain and rehab, musculoskeletal injury, performance-based stuff, health-based stuff. So there's a lot there that you can benefit from. So I recommend that you follow Triage Method on Instagram um, at the very least. And then of course, also on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Twitter, follow us on LinkedIn. You can follow us everywhere. Okay. Just, just follow us and uh, you'll find a wide variety of content and there's different content on, on each respective platform, but Instagram is our central hub. So do follow there. And maybe you're not a social media person. Maybe you like getting information dropped into your inbox. And if that's the case, I'd recommend subscribing to the triage method newsletter. Um, again, we drop out content there that doesn't go on our social media. So if you're subscribing there, uh, you're going to be, you know, benefiting once again. And from there, you'll find the links to our social media if you need them. Uh, and they're also going to be in our just in the description box below. So other than that, I think that's everything. If you do enjoy the podcast, you're enjoying the series, do be sure to share it, you know, leave a rating and review if you'd like, but sharing it on, on your story and, you know, sending it to friends that really helps uh, the, the word to spread. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of health podcasts these days. So you know, sharing is, is one of the ways that we can we can start to, to grow our following and spread the good word of triage. Fantastic. I mean, I have nothing else to say unless you do, Nicola. We'll wrap this up. No, all good. All good. Fantastic. Peace out, guys. <laughs>